Hey everyone, I'm Stephanie. I'm a book-loving, notebook-hoarding reader and writer on a mission to change lives one book and one notebook at a time. And this is the Get Literate Podcast. On this podcast, we explore the power of leading literate lives. We talk all things books and reading, notebooks and writing, and everything in between to make our lives better. And no matter what better means to you, the pages inside books and notebooks can help us get there. So each week, we'll mix together books, notebooks, mindful practices, and creativity to cultivate a life we love. Now grab a notebook and your TBR list, and let's get literate. Hey everyone, Stephanie here. Welcome back to another episode of the Get Literate podcast. I am back in your podcast platform this week with an extra episode, and it's an extra special one because I get to sit down with an author that I admire. Today, I'm talking with J.D. Sparrow on the power of hyper-local books. Now, I didn't realize how much I needed or wanted this kind of book in my reading life, until fairly recently. I was reading A Wish for Winter by Viola Shipman with my Get Literate Patreon community, and I absolutely loved the strong sense of place that the story had. I could visualize Michigan. I could see the water. I could see the ice and the snow and the streets, the stores, all of it. What surprised me was how real that setting was. And I was quite jealous of my Michigan friends who had a different perspective because they could literally see and live and experience the setting in a way that I couldn't. So it got me thinking about hyperlocal books or books that are actually set in a real life location and have real life references to real life streets, stores, and attractions. It just invites the reader into a book in a way that others can't. So when I think about hyperlocal books that touched me and the ones that really made me appreciate having this kind of genre in my reading life, I instantly thought of J.D. Sparrow. She has written four books. Well, she's actually written more than four, but four books that I have read that all take place fairly close to my actual hometown. One of them took place where my husband actually grew up. Another took place just a few miles north of where I am in the beautiful Adirondacks. And yes, there were some Boston settings as well, but I had been there. I'd experienced it. So I could still bring that same hyper-local essence to that aspect of the book too. It just does something. When you can read a book and not just imagine it in your head, but you can literally walk down that street or you know that you've been there, or you know that store, you've walked in that restaurant that's referenced, it just makes you live the book a different way. So I wanted to bring JD on to talk to her about her books, to introduce you to hopefully a new author and a whole stack of books that you can add to your TBR. And I wanted to get the inside scoop about writing hyperlocal books from her perspective. And that's what we do. We talk about all the things, her backstory and how she came to be a writer. We talk about her books, the ones that are hyper-local for me and those that are not. And then we talk about the process of writing. 
what it means to write hyperlocal books and how you prepare and how you get it right. It was a wonderful conversation, one that I wish could have went on and on and on, and I'm pretty sure she'll be back on the podcast when her latest books are published so we can continue the conversation. So without further ado, here's my conversation with J.D. Spiro. J.D. Spiro, welcome to the Get Literate podcast. I am so excited to talk with you today. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So I was super excited for this session today for a couple of reasons. Um, First, I always feel like a kid on Christmas morning when I get to talk to an author, especially (laughs) an author that I loved. I'm five books in and I'm in love with all of them. So I am really excited just to kind of fangirl a little bit on the book (laughs) today. Um, But what I love that you have helped me realize over the course of reading your books is that I I, something I didn't know about myself as a reader and something that I didn't know I wanted, which was the ability to really feel like I was living inside of the books because your books are local to me. They are set in local mm-hmm. places with some real local references. And I didn't know how much that would heighten the reading experience as it has. Mm-hmm. So hyperlocal books are kind of my new obsession. Um, and so I'm really excited to talk with you about that today from your perspective. You know, I have my perspective of reading them, but your perspective of writing them, which should be a a conversation. Definitely. So for those where hyper-local books might be a new term, I just want to preface it by saying that term is usually defined as a book that has a really strong sense of place. But beyond that, it's got a really strong sense of real places. So the Mm -hmm. books are set in real life settings with real life mention of real life places. Not that all of them must be real, but there are Mm -hmm. are some degree of, there's some degree of truth in them and the location that they're set. So if you are a reader who's not from the area, you just feel this really great, strong sense of place. But if you are a reader that is from the area, you feel like you're there. You feel Mm -hmm. like you're living it. I know that road. I know that store you know when I was reading yeah. about, I know that price chopper I know I know, <laughs> you know the manner um yeah. so you do that so well in your books at least the, the four in particular that I am thinking about and mm-hmm. and I think readers will get a kick out of even if they don't live where we live and don't mm-hmm. quite know these terms I'm sure that they can apply this kind of hyper local thinking to their own area and hopefully enhance their experience as readers as well. Now yeah. I've spoken too much. So I'm going to throw back. <laughs> let's okay. Let's tell readers your backstory. Tell us all all the things. Who you are, how you came to be a writer with this beautiful stack of books on my desk and Okay. Yeah, so well I've always loved to write. I've always been a writer, but I haven't I'd never wrote seriously until I was in my 20s. I worked in corporate America um, out, out of college, um, although I was an English major and I was always, I used, you know, I wrote, I wrote as a hobby. Um, it wasn't until I had, you know, something really juicy to write about that I thought I wanted to take a shot at writing a novel. And my first book was based on my experience of, um, doing a, a website design company startup in Boston, 
which was, you know, part of that web boom that happened that, you know, everyone thought they were going to make millions of dollars. And um, I wrote this book and I called it Giddy Up Startup. And it was, it was, it's a terrible book. It's not published. (laughs) It, It will never be published. It's on those floppy disks. But, you know, the process of writing it was so cathartic and just, I loved the process and I was hooked. And from that moment, I just started writing these um, novels. And I wrote a few before I actually published any. I wrote, I think I wrote at least three before I published w- my first. Um, so, and I published my first at 41. So there was a, you know, big time span. And in that time I got married, I had three kids. I had, <laughs> there was a lot going on. I ended up changing careers, becoming an, uh, a teacher. I was a teacher of high school English. And, you know, so I was writing in the summertime, but I wasn't, you know, publishing anything. And of course, my job and my kids were my focus. And then my husband's job took us, we were living in the Boston area, his job took us um, to, you know, the Midwest, and then to Texas. So we lived in all these other places. And, you know, I had small kids, and um, I just kind of took a break from working, a, like, you know, a nine to five job. And, I just started focusing on writing and I said, okay, I'm going to try to make a go at this. I'm going to make this my job. And it was a great thing to have as a, as a mom of young kids, because as a lot of moms probably struggle with, you know, when kids are little, you have a lot of brain time that are, that's feeling empty. (laughs) You need to like have some sort of stimulation. And so that really filled a need for me, like when the kids were, were young. And, and by that time, you know, by the time I think my youngest was three when or four when I uh, published my first and then it just kind of took off from there which and and so uh, it's been it's been a a wild ride and it's been awesome and I I love love it (laughs) I especially love like really really love and I know many members of the community listening will love that you didn't publish your first book until 41 yeah Mm -hmm. there is hope for all of us his dreams in there that I didn't yeah. and the fact that. that I wrote, I wrote, I, I wrote three full novels before I published any, and those, I there's one that I keep going back to, and I might end up. I've tried to rewrite it like several times. I might go back to that, and it might end up a version of it might end up in the world someday. But um, for the most part, that was that was kind of my training. You know, I don't have an MFA, but I feel like I have worked. You know, kind of. You know. I, my, you know, with the boots on the ground kind of MFA with just trying to figure it out. I've done a lot of online workshops about how to, you know, hone my craft. And um, that's been really helpful. But I really just, you know, just be just reading and writing and just keep, you know, just to keep doing it. Um, you just you can't help but get better. So right. I feel like that's been just being dedicated to that has been, uh, you know, kind of a success story by, you know, alone. Oh, and very inspiring on this, on this side of the screen. Very inspiring. (laughs) I love love hearing the backstories because most of us who love reading, who love writing, who are educators, a lot of us do have that little dream in the back of our head to someday write a book. I could do that. And so many of us push that aside because, oh, we're too old or we didn't get the degree or X, Y, or Z, right? Fill in the blank. And I've got a stack of your books here and and you didn't let any of that stop you. And, and like you said, those, the, the novels along the way, um, you just loved it. 
and he did it out mm-hmm. of the love and then that went somewhere. So that, mm-hmm. that is, that is an unexpected, inspiring nugget that I'm getting. Yeah. Today. So thank you for that. Yeah. It's funny. Now, my husband, my husband will tell me like, if I, if I start to get a little anxious about things in life in general, he'll be like, you need to go write. Why don't you go write somewhere? It's like something I have to do, you know? It's therapy. Uh, Our notebooks are therapy. Yeah. Yes. Many yes. of us can relate. So now how did you go from Texas and the Midwest to upstate New York, which is well, actually, yeah, I, I know. Right. I I grew up here. I grew up in upstate New York. I was a graduate from like George high school and, but I went to college in the Boston area. And so, and that's where I met my husband. I spent my, my twenties and thirties, most of my thirties in the Boston area. And then we, we, when we started moving around, we kind of always thought we would be back in the Boston area. And, um, we, it's, it was just kind of, you know, by chance that we ended up back here. And then my boys started at, um, at the school, they got involved in the school system and we didn't want to pull them out. And we, we just loved it. My husband loved it, which is more important because I'm from here. He's he's the Boston kid, you know, (laughs) for him to fall in love with this area. That's so that was, it was cool, but I never thought I'd be living in my hometown, (laughs) but here I am. Here you are. It's, it's all good. Mm-hmm. And Boston is just a drive away, you know, to it to- is. It is. Yeah. So, so let's talk about all the books. So mm-hmm. I've got, and I know people can't see me, but if they could, I've got a stack. I've got four of your books. I have them here too. Yeah. <laughs> the same stacks right in my hands. The uh, the fifth uh-huh. book that I'm reading is currently living on on my Kindle. Um, when I, I first started kind of diving into your list of books, I first started with Forte and Concerto. Mm-hmm. And the reason I did really was by chance. Um, and I'm so thankful for that chance. My husband was Christmas shopping for me at a local bookstore. Mm-hmm. I remember this. Yeah, you do? <laughs> I do. Yes. You were there signing <laughs> books. And not only does he know that you know, I'm, I'm always up for a new author, a new book, but when the book is signed, it's just super special. And mm-hmm. at least the first book primarily takes place in his hometown. And so right. that was, that was the, you know, the kicker that, that sealed the deal. And right. really the first series I had read where I could connect with the setting so mm-hmm. much um, mm-hmm. in a way that I hadn't before. So could you give readers a, a quick little, overview of what that two book series is about? Sure. So for the Forte series is a, uh, an urban fantasy, which is, you know, it's a, it's a fantasy, ma- uh, you know, has a taste of magic in it, but it's set in a real world setting. And that's the only kind of fantasy book I could ever write because, um, you know, I'm not a world builder, you know, uh, <laughs> that would be too, too far out for me, but I wanted to set it in a real place that could, you know, you know, people could connect to, and that some some place that I was familiar with, and um, so I chose to set it in a small town upstate New York. For those listeners who aren't familiar, called Whitehall, and I used its historic name Skeensboro in the book because I think it sounds cooler. And the yeah. reason I chose that, um, and you know, the book is you know about a teenage girl who is you know struggling between sports and um, the arts, and she ends up with this like magic potion that makes her really good at sports. And that kind of hurts her uh, musical ability. 
Um, so I don't want to spoil the, the rest of the story for anyone, but, um, you know, I kind of based it on my, my life and, um, as a teenager, as it, going into to a small school in Lake George, um, where you, you kind of had to do both because, or you could do both because it was so small, they needed people in both things. So I was, but I wasn't really good at either. <laughs> I wasn't really good at the sports part. So there's a scene in the beginning where she's trying to play volleyball and she's terrible. And that was absolutely me. <laughs> and, and the coach in the book who, um, um, I don't know if you read the back, but she's, she's a very uh, famous uh, coach in the area um, who was my coach, you know, back in high school. Um, her, her nickname is Panic. So, um, and people would say, you know, are you going to play for panic? And, um, I would, I, I actually, that was the initial name of the book play for panic. Oh. So I changed the name of, of, you know, panic and I, you know, changed her character completely because she does kind of become a villain. And I, and I have too much respect for my, <laughs> my high school right. coach for that. But the reason I chose to set it in Whitehall and not Lake George is because you, I felt like it needed to be, there needed to be a little distance from my, my personal experience, you know, and what, what I'm putting on the page. And I feel like a lot of writers need to do that sometimes. Um, otherwise it might, you know, spill into maybe too much of the autobiographical stuff. And, you know, every, every author will put in, you know, little snippets of his or her life, but um, you do need a little bit of distance just to make it, just to be able to push it a little bit. Um, and kind of be a little bit more vulnerable without feeling like you're completely exposed. Um, and the reason Whitehall was such an attractive town for me is because, you know, we, I told you, you know, we lived in the Boston area. We lived in Northern Boston. So North, Northern Massachusetts. And um, we would drive to get here. We would drive through New Hampshire and Vermont. And as you probably know, you have to go through Whitehall in order to get to Lake George if you go that route on Route 4. And so we would always go through Whitehall. And I, of course, I would always look up and see Skeen Manor. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was just such a cool, beautiful Victorian mansion in the middle of like nowhere. Oh, and yeah. it was just held all this mis mystery and, and then the canal running through the town and how, it, you know, I knew that historically it had been a thriving town. And now it was just kind of, you know, sadly a little bit, you know, dead. And, yeah. you know, I was just, I was like, what's going on here? And another thing I have to tell you, I have to share this because we were, we were years ago when we were getting married, we lived in Boston, but we were getting married here and we could not get here to get our marriage license because we couldn't take time off work or, you know, you know, whatever the reason was. So I called the town hall in Whitehall and I said, listen, we're going to be driving through at eight o'clock at night on a Friday. Can someone meet us? and give us our marriage license. And they did. <laughs> they, did. they did. They, you know, that's a small town, you know, yeah, sure. You know, just give me a call. I live right down the street. I'll walk over. And, you know, she, she came over and we, we, of course we were like taking pictures and she, she probably didn't expect that. But so right. I just felt this like, you know, warm place in my heart for the town. Like, oh my gosh, what a great, you know, great people. And, um, so, you know, so I, I decided to set it there and I loved being able to use that beautiful mansion, Skeen Manor, as it, it actually becomes a character in the book. Um, so it really does, you know, come to life. So I did a lot of tours. I did a lot of, um, you know, I spent a lot of time just walking around and, 
you know, probably looking like some strange tourist because <laughs> it was in the off season. But um, yeah, so it, it, I think it came out, I think it, it worked. It worked for the, the story for sure. Oh, it definitely worked. And as you mentioned earlier, you were saying you wouldn't be able to write a completely fantasy kind of book and create new worlds. I am not a fantasy reader. I do not mm. gravitate towards fantasy books as well. I right. need to have my feet squarely in reality. Yes. And at first I was a little hesitant to read. Yeah. Because I know I know myself as a reader, but even though there certainly is a fantasy element, this book is firmly in reality, right? There are yeah. lessons that we can right. all take from it. And I, I, it was after reading these two that I thought, okay, well, maybe I don't mind fantasy yeah. after all, because the elements were so shockingly fun and interesting yeah. to me, especially when we get into book two, when lots of things start to happen. Um, mm -hmm. it, it made me realize that, okay, pushing, pushing the reading boundaries a bit really can have some, some good effects. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always say it's, you know, it's just got a little hint of magic. It's not, you know, um, a completely fantasy. I'm, I'm actually the right. same as you. I don't, I'm not a big fantasy reader. Um, and I do think the lesson in here, you know, you could, you know, you could easily switch out that magic potion for a performance enhancing drug. And it could be a, a totally different book, but absolutely makes sense. It'd be relevant yeah. today. Yeah. So that's a great, that point. was definitely my, my, my objective there. Yeah. It's timeless and can cross a lot of boundaries for whoever happens to be reading it of whatever lens they're, yeah. they're through. Mm -hmm. So now let's talk about Boy on Hold and mm -hmm. Boy Released. Mm -hmm. These books, so I read both of these books faster than I think I've read a lot of other other books because I was uh -huh. in it. Like, like I said, uh -huh. I knew that price chopper. I knew that. <laughs> I knew that pizza shop. I yeah. in my head imagined where where they were living. And it just really sucked me in in a way that other books don't because yeah. of that. But then you've got the storyline, you know, this family that you just get mm -hmm. so close to. And at first, you know, I was all about the kids. I was about the mm -hmm. little kids, about the big brother. But then I was about the mom. And then it was mm -hmm. this. So, so many entry points here yeah. on just the hyper local places. So give us, give us the scoop about these books. Okay. So, well, Boy on Hold, um, I wrote, I actually got the idea for this story when we were living in Texas and it, you know, my, my younger son, uh, you know, I, I'll just, you know, give a little context about, um, the inspiration for the story. My, my young, my middle son, when he was about six years old, um, he was obsessed with nocturnal animals. He really wanted a hedgehog for a pet. <laughs> similar to the little boy in the story. And he convinced me we were, when we were living in Texas, he said, can I go outside and go try to catch a hedgehog, which of course is impossible in Texas, right. <laughs> but I let him do it because he's, you know, you just, his innocent mind thought it was possible. And so he had a little flashlight out there and he was looking around the backyard and I was of course watching him from the window. And I realized I could see right into my neighbor's home. And I got the idea for this book where this young boy sneaks out of the house in the middle of the night and, you know, witnesses a crime and he's the only one who witnesses it. And his older brother is um, accused of that crime. So um, I, I had this story kind of marinating for a long time. And I was, I worked on it for about, I think a total of six years, like 
when wow. I started the book and when I finally published it, of course, taking, you know, taking breaks in between and, um, and, you know, the editing process, finding a publisher. Um, but I ended up setting it in upstate New York. Actually, the reason why is because <laughs> I needed to um, fact check the legal aspect of the book. And as you probably know, in every state, the law is different. And, you know, the, the process of a trial and, and all that stuff, you know, there is a trial at the end of the book, there is, a you know, the legal process is definitely an important one. And I, I, I definitely want to do my research and get it right. And so my father happened to be at, happens to be, well, he's retired now, but he was a lawyer here in upstate New York. And so, um, and I have some lawyer friends, and I said, oh, well, I have to set it in upstate New York, because that's where my my research is going to be. Um, and, <laughs> and it'll make it a valid, a valid uh, legal process. So that was the reason I, I chose to set it and I chose to set it in Screw and Lake because well, Paradox Lake, how could you not? How could you not want to set a book in a town called Paradox Lake? I mean, <laughs> and that, that was actually the name, the title of the book for a long time, Paradox Lake. And um, it actually Forte's title used to be Lock 12, which oh, is, it, this, that's it was to me, the process of the title and the changing of titles. That's, yeah, it's interesting. And, and, and the publisher actually said that I needed to change the title of uh, Forte because it was too, it was just too regional, you know, and um, yeah. you know, Paradox Lake, you know, I, I still think that's a cool title because, you know, it doesn't have to, it, 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 you know, it has, it's, it's symbolic anyway, and just, just in your right. name. Um, so, and, you know, I liked, I liked the fact that it was, you know, tucked in the Adirondacks a little bit more than, you know, the Lake George area, um, which is a little bit more, um, urban. <laughs> so, um, and it just kind of worked for the story to be up North a little bit, but not too far. So I'm still, I still was familiar with it. And, you know, I still could go up there and do my research. And I did, I went, went up and I have a friend who had a, had a place on Paradox Lake. So she'd had me over and. She gave me, you know, her own tour. And I, I, my first uh, book reading was at the Scroon Lake Library, which was exciting. Oh, wonderful. So, yeah, so that was, that was great. And then I didn't even, I didn't even think I would be doing a sequel to this book um, until after uh, Boy on Hold was published. And I thought to myself, oh man, I, I, I would love to write a sequel to that book because I just loved the characters and I just had, you know, they were so rich and alive to me. And um and I, I, I actually went to bed one night and it hit me in the middle of the night. Like I woke up and it, it was like a thunderbolt. Like I just, I, I got the idea from start to finish. I had to get out of bed and journal, journal my idea. Like basically it was an outline for the whole plot. And that was, that was what became Boy Released. And um, so in Boy Released, they move from Spoon Lake to Lake George and they run a motel. And being a Lake George High School graduate, I had several friends who owned motels in the surround because they're Lake George High School is, is smack right dab there. in the middle of the tourist <laughs> area and there are hotels surrounding the school. And I so I had several friends who had motels and I would help my friends chambermaid and we would sometimes have sleepovers in the hotel and the motel rooms. It was just such a normal thing. And only when I moved away did I realize that this was unusual <laughs> like not everyone grows up like you know helping their friends chambermaid on the weekends and you know having that part of their world so I um I was really able to kind of go back into my into my that like 
you know, hap those happy memories of, you know, the innocent, uh, innocent childhood when I was, when I was, you know, there helping my friends with their motel. And, and then of course, as a teenager, I would roam those streets on Lake George village, you know, right. all through the season, you know, all through the year, even when you could, you know, everything was shut down in the winter. And a lot of what um, a lot of what Hen does with his buddies, you know, with the pizza, going down to the water, hearing the music, that was all. It was a take, totally taking a page from my my teenage years, and that was a lot of fun to write about. Um, so uh, yeah, so that's how that's how um, that's how Boy Released came to be. Wow. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad that that hit you like a thunderbolt in the middle of the night because <laughs> I, you know, when I got the book, you know, I I got them as a package deal. And mm -hmm. I would have been, I wouldn't have felt complete, you know, at the end of the first one, I would have wanted to know what was going to happen. And I didn't uh -huh. have, to, I didn't have to deal with that because I, you know, the next book was coming. So I'm oh yeah, very glad to hear that. <laughs> oh, good, good. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, I, and the fact that it's 10 years later, um, I think makes it a little bit different as far as sequels go. Because, you know, and a lot of people, some people have read Boy Released without having read Boy on Hold, or they read it in, in a different, in, you know, reverse order. And it does make sense by itself. It's, yeah. It can stand alone. Okay. I think you get more out of it if you read Boy on Hold first. But um, yeah, it, it's its own solid story because it takes place so much later. Um, right. And I actually have an outline for a third book, <laughs> but oh, I haven't good. written it. Yet. I haven't written it. I haven't written it yet. So. I haven't written it yet. But, so the fifth book, so I'm currently reading, and it may not be your fifth book, but it is my fifth book of, of course. <laughs> and uh -huh. as you know, I kind of alluded to you before we hit record, this one's kind of blowing my mind a little bit. Um, <laughs> it feels like a departure from these first four books. And maybe that's because I am not in the setting. Maybe that's because I kind of came to your books with that expectation but the plot line, the characters, the, oh my goodness, the, just the, yeah. the main elements of this book, um, right from chapter one had me, yeah. had me in it. Like, and, and I was joking with you when, when we were getting ready for this session, I was like, no, no, not, not yet. It can't be time because I still needed to keep reading a little bit. <laughs> I love so that. That book is the secret cure. And uh -huh. I, you know, as I mentioned to you and a lot of listeners know over the past year or so, I've been dealing with my own kind of medical challenges where, mm -hmm. you know, I've, I've got joint pain. I've got things that start in my hands and move up my elbows. And I, I kind of had a, a mysterious thing for a little while. And so mm -hmm. when you first read the secret cure right away in chapter one, you get to know this character who was yeah. dealing with a mysterious illness that started mm -hmm. in her hands and moved up to the rest of their body. And I thought, oh my goodness, what <laughs> am I reading? It was just such yeah. an instant I cannot yeah. look down. So I would love if you would talk a little bit about the secret cure too, because I won't be able to stop talking about it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, this was a really cool inspiration story as well. Um, my husband and I were at a destination wedding out in uh, Tiramina, Italy. And we were at this resort and, um, we, we, we kept noticing, we noticed throughout the week, we noticed this man, this older man going back and forth between his mistress on the beach and his handicapped wife at the pool. 
and oh his wife has very limited mobility and and you know it took a while for us to make this connection that the same guy was going back and forth and as soon as I saw this I was like ding the light bulb <laughs> the light bulb went wow. off and I was like I have I have to write this book like this is just too good you know so um yeah it is a it is a, a departure and I actually had to get a completely different publisher to publish that book and um the publisher is called Dark Stroke it's a little darker it's definitely more adult you know there's there there are curse words in it you know and um you know, so I think it's it's every publisher I've worked I've worked with three different publishers. Everyone has their own process, and I have learned so much from each one. And um, I actually I also did a self publishing. My very first book was self published, and I can talk about that if you want. But um, every every experience has has educated me. And I'm I'm actually working with an, a fourth publisher with my newest book that's coming out in the spring, which we can talk about. Um, oh, and that's a completely cute. different process too. Yeah. So. Um, so anyway, so I, I started uh, Secret Cure and I, I wrote that book like I think I, it took me a year to write it. But when I was working on it, I, I was just so excited. Like it just came out, you know, and I had the characters just came to life like almost instantly. The tricky part about thrillers and I don't want to say too much because I know you haven't finished it yet um, because it is a thriller. It's, a, you know, I, or a romantic suspense, uh, however you want to call that, um, you know, the ending is tricky to nail you know um and I actually wrote three different endings for the secret cure before we wow. I decided on one and I had I had one publisher you know say you know I love the book but you have to change the ending so you know can you change it and then send it back to us and I did and they they still didn't want they still didn't like it so I changed it again oh so um and they ended up with a different publisher but it was you know you know with with Gwen Hold Boy Released with even the Forte books, the, the ending seemed to just make sense, you know, to me, but, you know, because you're, you're looking for, and I just wrote um, a guest, I was a guest blog um, for a website called Women on Writing that um, they asked me to write a blog about how to make effective twists. And, you know, it made me really think like, oh my gosh, it's, it is hard. It's hard to make effective twists because you don't want people rolling their eyes. You don't want people to, you know, have it come out of completely left field. So it has to, it has to be reasonable, but it also has to shock the reader or right. else it's not a twist. So, um, so that took some, that took some practice, but I, you know, Hey, I have no, I have no qualms admitting that I wrote I wrote a ending three times <laughs> because I really am happy with how the ending came out. Right. Well, I can't yeah. wait. I can't wait for it. And actually, I think my mind is reeling a little bit that this was actually based on something that you saw perhaps in real life, which makes it yeah. like even. Right. Even and, and so in the, in the book, the, the, the main character, she's, she's temporarily, she's got this condition that temporarily paralyzes her, but I definitely didn't want to. And this was something that a lot of, you know, um, writing coaches helped me with. They were, they said, you know, you can't, you have to be very careful because you don't want to offend anyone. Like this is, this is a serious condition and, you know, you can't make her be, you know, this, you can't use that to kind of sit for a different agenda kind of thing. Right. Um, I'm trying not to, I'm going to try not to take, uh, give away too much of the book, but, Spoilers. but it was important for me to make her a strong character. And so her personality is a super strong character, even if she can't move, she, you can, feel her energy when you read her read her yes. thoughts and her her you know later on her actions you're like whoa you know this is you know this is a girl I'm not gonna mess with kind of thing yes. and that was intentional on my part you know yeah and you can feel that from that very first 
chapter. Right. So in, inside my community, we do first chapter Fridays where I read snippets ah. of, some of the books that I'm reading. And I had to run to record part of this first chapter because I thought they have, to, oh, good. They, have to, <laughs> they have to hear the first chapter of this book, the way that you set it up where you don't necessarily tell what's going on. You know, you literally show us what's going on. And by the time you get to the end with that one little line, you know, yeah. she hates them both. I thought, oh my <laughs> gosh, I, I can't wait. Yeah, I can't yeah, wait. It, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's yeah. a lot of fun. So you've talked about a couple of aspects of the writing process, choosing titles and then re-choosing titles, writing books that have never seen the light of day yet mm -hmm. and, and rewriting endings. And, you know, what we, what we originally came on to talk about, although now I want to talk about like six other, other things, <laughs> you know, one part is, is writing books that are hyper-local like this. You've mentioned doing mm. the research and walking around and, and mm. visiting. I know as a reader, I really appreciate how much it allowed me to get inside the book and, and I think experience the book differently in a yeah. way if a reader wasn't familiar with the area. And so mm -hmm. I'm just wondering from your perspective of what that was like writing it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, as you're asking the question, my mind is is kind of going to the book that I'm working on now. <laughs> and it's um you know, it, it's actually set in, in, uh, in a suburb of Seattle. Okay. Where, and this is funny because, you know, you know the thing is, you know, a lot of my books have a Boston uh, reference as well. Like uh, Concerto has a lot of it takes yes. place in Boston um, and Secret Cure, they're, they're, li they're living in a suburb of Boston. And obviously we lived in Boston. <laughs> and so I, I think it's important um, and I also have a book coming out in, in the summer that's set in New York city. Like I, I definitely want to be like, I couldn't write a book about, you know, the black mountains in Idaho or whatever. I, I couldn't set a book there. Cause I, I don't, I've never been, I, I don't know anything about it. You know, um, you know, part of, part of secret character does take place in a resort in Tiramina, Italy. And it's totally pulled from my memories of being there. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's, I feel like that's important, you know, because even if I can't actually physically go there and walk the grounds, I, I can live in those memories or I can tap into maybe my, you know, my, my aunt who lives in um, Seattle, like, you know, just make sure, fact check me here, like make sure that this can actually happen or does happen or is legit. Um, I think that's important because no one's ever done it, but I would hate for a reader to like write a review. It's like, oh, by the way, she's got this all wrong. <laughs> this wouldn't right. happen in this area. <laughs> right, right. Well, that definitely can't happen, <laughs> at least in the yeah. book that I've, I've read so far. And I, I think that's what makes me appreciate it so much. But, you know, you, you as you're talking, I keep thinking, right, we write what we know. And even if yeah. it's fiction, pieces of you, pieces of your sure. life end up inside of the books, which I think makes it that much better, right? It's a, yeah. it's a part of you. It's, it's like right, a, I know. a fourth child, a fifth child, a sixth child. <laughs> right. Although when you, when you get further into the secret cure, maybe just forget about that. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Cause you know what? You don't want to think that I'm tied to anything that happens. In the That's true. That's true. I'll tie yeah. you to, I'll tie you to Italy and, <laughs> and, and the connection will 
we'll stop there. So is that two books coming out in the future? We yes, can- I have one coming out in the spring. I, I think, well, it was slated to come out in March, but it we might push it because um, we haven't done any, uh, you know, pre-marketing, um, pre-launch marketing. And we're still in the, in the, we're deep in the edits and we haven't done a cover reveal, but that is actually more of a romance, but it does have a little bit of a twist. And it's more, it's like a very easy read, like fun, sweet, um, you know, written for adults, but not uh, erotic in any way. Um, And, you know, I just, I I actually had this idea that I wanted to try to kind of maybe break into the romance um, genre as an author, because it's such a popular genre and it's so, you know, you could do well. So I I wrote this and I had this idea, this enemies to lovers kind of romance that happens. And I had so much fun. I wrote the book in three months and, um, and I, I, I got like three offers, like right out of the gate with this uh, book. And it, it was kind of telling to me like, okay, maybe this is kind of what people want to read. Um, but it's interesting. I, the publisher I signed with uh, immediately started talking to me about the next book he wanted me to write, which which isn't a romance <laughs> because he read The Secret Cure and he's like, I think you need uh, to merge those two, do more of the romantic suspense kind of books, you know, because those, those are the juicy ones that we can dig our teeth into. So I am working on, I'm working on one of those. And then, um, and actually um, the one that's coming out in, in the summer is, it's called Hackware, which is completely different. Um, and that's with the same publisher who published Boya and Hold and Boya Released. Um, they, uh, it's a, it's a cyber thriller and it's based on an actual event that happened. My husband during the, in the middle of the pandemic, my husband's company was hit with ransomware oh. and they were asking for like $5 million and they, their comp, his company actually was able to not pay the ransom and get all their data safe and, wow. you know, put them on new servers and all the, all this, it was, it was pretty technical and my husband made the comment, he said, you know, it's amazing how similar this computer virus is to the, to the pandemic virus, to the, you know, and I said, oh my gosh, light bulb went off. And I was like, I have to write this book. So it's about this, this um, population way in the future of this human, the human population has been cut in half, basically, um, from, you know, a pandemic or something. And half the population are actual droids, like androids. And a computer virus threatens to completely wipe them out. And it's scary because that's like half the human population. So um, it's called it. So that's a fun one. And it's very fast paced. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's definitely a thriller. So it'll, it'll, that'll be a fun one um, that's coming out in August. But again, totally different. <laughs> yeah, well, it, but I'm loving that, right? It's yeah. such a wide range of books that can appeal to so many readers depending on where they want to dip their toes in and and go from there yeah and it's and I have been advised that you know I should try to write more similar books because then people kind of know what they're getting when they pick up a book from me but I I don't know I just feel like I want to I want to go where the inspiration takes me and I don't want to have to try to fill this like you know definition of what you know who who I might be but it is, it does make it a little challenging from a marketing perspective, because I feel like my message is a little bit, it changes with every book I come out with, right. which is okay. It is because yeah. from a reader's perspective, you know, you can tell 
when the author's all in and jazzed up and just like, yeah, you can feel that on the page. And I love the Forte series, the Boy on Hold series, but I am all in the secret, <laughs> right? So yeah. I, I love that difference. And it just shows your ability as a writer, but just how, how many opportunities there are for us as readers to connect with authors in different ways. So I yeah. love, I love that you're branching out. I think that's exciting. I think it's inspirational. Oh, good. Yeah. I, I think, well, and I think also most people who read don't just read the same genre either, you know, and, you know, so I, I want to be able to, you know, just like, I I'm writing books that I would want to read. That's, that's basically what I'm doing. And so, you know, maybe I have a lot of company, maybe I don't have as much company. As I bet you. I like to have, I like to have, I like to have come out with books that are, you know, that kind of stay with you that have some sort of element that you can talk about with somebody, you know, I think that's important. You know, I don't want it to just be a story that you can enjoy and then forget about. I want it to stick with people. So I'm hoping that that happens. Yeah. Well, the first five have, you're on a good roll. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to these, to these next books that are are coming out. It sounds like one might be a good beach read and one mm-hmm. could be a, 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 a quick, um, the, the cyber one might be a quick yet scary one to read. Yeah. 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 And the cyber one is, um, it's basically, it's going to be a two book series. So that'll be, that'll, oh, the next one will probably come out next year. So yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. I, yeah. That circle ending that I wanted. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it has been wonderful chatting with you about all of your books that are here, the books that are coming out, where can listeners find you so that they can grab them for themselves? Yeah, well, I have a website. It's just jdspiro.com, J-D-S-P-E-R-O.com. And also all my books are on Amazon. That's probably the easiest way to get them. Um, you know, they you can get them through Barnes & Noble. Like if you go to the store and ask them to order it for you or maybe any other uh, indie bookstore too. But um, probably the easiest way is to get it through Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we can all do that quite easily with one click yeah. of a button for most of yeah. us. So <laughs> I do hope that I know that at least one of these books are going to pique their interest, whether it's, you know, the Forte series, the Boy on Hold, or the one that I'm jazzed up about now, Secret Cure. You've got mm-hmm. something for every reader. So they'll definitely find something that they can add to their TBR stack. I hope so. That would be great. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It was so great talking with you. Wasn't that such a great episode? I so enjoyed my conversation with JD. And as you saw, wished we had some more time so I could get some more questions in. I mean, not publishing your first book until 41. How inspiring is that? And knowing where she's getting these ideas from her books, they come from her everyday life, and then she gets to really dive in and explore. I definitely had some writing jealousy there, but a whole lot more of writing inspiration. Now, what I'd love for you to do is to send me your hyperlocal books. I would love to create an alpha box chart. If you're an educator, you know that that's a chart with a letter of the alphabet in each one, and we're going to grab some titles but I want to create a chart of all 50 states. I would love to have listeners write in about their favorite hyperlocal books. Tell me what they are. Tell me where you live. Tell me the books that really capture the essence of the area. 
and let's gather together a really big list and represent all 50 states on this document so that if you're in need of some hyperlocal books to really get invested in the reading experience, it'll be easy to do with this resource by your side. So you can send me the books that you recommend on social media and tag me at Afanito Lit. Or of course, you can head to the show notes at alitlife.com and leave your titles there. I'll start compiling them and then we'll post it out on social media when we've got all 50 states represented. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for helping me in this new 50 state project and happy reading. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Get Literate Podcast. You'll find links to all the books, resources, and ideas mentioned in the show notes and at alitlife.com. And if you want more, you might like to join my Patreon community. There, you'll find additional inspiration for your reading and writing lives, like bonus podcast episodes, book calendars, monthly book clubs, notebooking challenges, live events, giveaways, and much more. It's only $5 a month, and you get instant access to all the previous content, too. You can learn more at getliterate.co. But one more thing. If you love what you listen to today, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast or take a screenshot of the episode and text it to a friend. This helps the podcast grow and builds our bookish and notebookish community, too. Thanks so much for listening.